You're listening to the Tennis Now Tennis Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Otto. Day three of the U.S. Open. Ready for some action from Flushing Meadows. we got a special edition of the podcast today. We'll be bringing aboard Taylor Dent, former world number 21 and current coach of big man on campus, Jared Donaldson, 19-year-old American who knocked off the number 12 seed David Goffin yesterday. Before we get to that, we'll roll a little bit of a recap of what's happened in the first round. You're listening to the Tennis Now Tennis Podcast, sponsored by Tennis Express. It's been a brilliant first two days at Flushing Meadows. The grounds look great, the weather has been fabulous, and the top seeds have been holding their ground despite injury concerns. There have also been a lot of epic moments. Juan Martin Del Potro and Janko Tipsarevich come to mind each won their first matches at the Open since 2013. It was so nice to see two of the more interesting, well-liked, and long-suffering players on the men's side writing new chapters in their career. We wish them all the best for the rest of the fortnight. Nick Kyrgios and Bernard Tomic, those lovable Aussies brought their edgy potty mouth antics to grandstand, the old grandstand that is, with Tomic going off the deep end in the first round loss that featured some truly inspiring profanities. While Kyrgios pulled back on the throttle and eased to a straight sets victory that, as always, featured some spicy verbal commentary from the controversial character. There were also a lot of near misses and compelling ones at that. On day one, 18-year-old Francis Tiafo nearly stunned John Isner but his day ended in heartbreak and a big giant hug when he failed to protect the two sets to love lead. Number six seeded Venus Williams nearly fell to Ukrainian Katerina Kotslova on day two, but she managed to slip through, notching her 18th consecutive first round win at the US Open. Wow. There weren't a lot, but there were some upsets. Anna Ivanovic went thud, falling to check Denisa Alertova, while Coco Vandue was sent packing by Japan's rising star Naomi Osaka without ever having a chance to do an on-court, in-match interview with ESPN, like she did last year. Circling back to Williams, it's been 18 years since Venus Williams first took the court at Flushing Meadows. That began a historical, unprecedented run for the Williams sisters that has featured eight U.S. Open titles, six for Serena and two for Venus, and another two in doubles for the legendary pair of siblings. Eighteen years ago. To put that into perspective, one of the biggest stories of the first two days of the Open, American Jared Donaldson, was only one when Venus was playing her first U.S. Open. On Tuesday, the 19-year-old Rhode Island native rocked the grounds and notched the biggest upset of the first round, taking out number 12-seeded David Goffin in four sets. That was a special win by Donaldson yesterday, and we've got his coach, former world number 21 and current head honcho at the Dent Tennis Academy in Southern California, soon to be Texas, by the way. That's Taylor Dent. 
I'm speaking with former world number 21, Taylor Den. He's also the coach of Jared Donaldson, who got a big win yesterday at the U.S. Open. How are you doing this morning, Taylor? I'm doing great. You know, happy about the uh, the win for Jared yesterday. Obviously, it was probably the biggest win of his career, so we're all pretty happy. Yeah, super. Congrats on that. Um, Jared's been with you, I think, uh, a little bit over two years at the Den Academy out there in Newport Beach. Um, can you take me through what he was like when he showed up at the age of 17 and how he's progressed since? Um, well, as far as his game is concerned, you know, he's a pretty good ball striker. You know, that's what my father and I liked about Jared's game. Um, you know, other than, other than that, he, he had a little bit of a, a junior game. You know, it was pretty safe. He stood a long way behind the baseline. Um, hit the ball kind of down the middle of the court. And I remember, you know, we were playing sets just for practice because he, when he originally came out, we were just supposed to be working on his, his serve. So I was just playing him sets to keep his eye in with everything else and wasn't really giving too much advice. And then Courtney, Jared's father, started asking me because I was, I was beating him pretty comfortably in sets. And he asked me what I thought, and I said, you know, he hits the ball great. You know, I think he's actually hitting the ball better than I am, but his shots don't have much value. You know, he's not getting much reward out of hitting such good shots. And, you know, that kind of led to the conversation of, you know, what it is to play, you know, professional tennis and, and what has to happen with, with each of those shots. And then so um, good conversation after good conversation. And then Courtney's like, well, would you mind working with Jared? And, and so here we are. Wow, that's really cool. He he um he's given you a lot of credit in the past and once again yesterday after his massive upset of David Goffin um for being sort of like a serve guru for him. He says you made technical changes right off the bat and then he said that you made technical changes again more recently before this hard court season. Can you kind of take me through the progression of that shot for him? Yeah, I mean when you know I I actually hate technique. I think that it's uh, a dangerous <laughs> it, it well it's dangerous to be honest with you because you can have an endless pursuit of getting perfect technique. And, you know, I think that there is a time where it is suitable. It's good enough. And, and if you're always changing something, you're not going to have confidence in that shot and you risk losing feel for that shot. But in, in, in cases, you know, like Jared serve when he first came, there were a lot of technical issues and, you know, kind of had to bite the bullet. And that's where my dad took over. Um, I, I just, my patience for doing heavy lifting technical work is, is, is on the shorter side because, you know, I've just seen my dad coach over the years and it takes a certain type of person to um, just give that, that technical feedback over and over. Yeah. And I, I run out of patience a little bit, but, you know, I started taking video of, of Jared's server and I told Courtney, I gave him a list of like four or five things that I thought were huge that needed to be changed. And then I didn't mm -hmm. tell my dad, my dad came over, said pretty, you know, similar stuff. You know, obviously I learned how to, how to do the serve from him. So we're going to see the same thing. And then that started the process and then it got him into a good place. Um, and I think he's in a very good place right now. You know, there was a, a little bit of a change my father did with his, uh, just his timing, um, you know, his, his motion before contact, just to get his timing a little bit better, more suited to his rhythm. Um, yeah. you know, the, and, and the serve is, is almost there, you know, technically it's almost there. Unfortunately, this is the deal with any shot is, you know, you can have a technically perfect shot. Um, but if you don't have the feel to kind of execute it over and over and over and under pressure, then, you know, you need to spend reps doing that. It's just because you have great technique does not mean that you're going to have a great shot. Mm -hmm. Since, um, well, this summer, since the city opened in DC, his results have really picked up. Um, he was very close to beating Stan Wawrinka in Cincinnati 
and yesterday he was able to come through with a huge win. Um, what do you think is kind of is something clicked with him? There's sort of a belief now that he can play with these top guys. Um, maybe mentally, they're, they're, you know, I think when you talk about something clicking or something happening, it's always an emotional mental thing. I mean, as far as like the physical thing is concerned, it's always just trying to get that one, two percent better. And uh, Jared was a little hurt for the grass court season. I think that was kind of a blessing in disguise because we were able to focus on his moving. And I think he, he made some gains there, some improvement there. And we were able to focus on a couple other aspects of his game. And, you know, he had a good result in Canada and he was playing well. And I asked him, I said, so how much better do you think you are now um, after that Wimbledon block of training that we did? Uh, You know, it was like a four or five week training block compared to what you were before. And he was like kind of shrugging. He he wanted, I, I don't know if he was searching for what I wanted him to say, but he said, well, I guess a little bit. I'm like, that's my point is at his level. And, and I was telling him at your level, one or 2% makes a huge difference. You know, there was, there was a stat out there with Federer when he dominated tennis for that four years where he was basically unbeatable. He ended up winning 52% of the points throughout yeah. those four years, 52%. <laughs> so really in tennis terms, that's only a 2% difference. If he loses 2% or more of those points, the other guys are getting 2% more of those points. So it's not that big of a difference. So that's kind of what I've been trying to impress on Jared is we have to really scrap and claw and fight and dig to get that 1% better on your forehand, 1% better on your backhand, serve, moving, mentality. And that's all that's happened. And, you know, the, the results will follow if you keep doing that. That's a nice way to frame it. Um, interesting. So there was some debate prior to the U.S. Open when the when the USTA gave Del Potro the wild card that, uh, you know, some people thought, well, well, that should have gone to an American. And I know we've talked about, talked a bit before about the sense of entitlement that was in the American youngsters um, several years back, and not and that it was an issue with some. So I just wonder how you felt about Jared not getting that wild card. And as it turns out, he played qualies. He's got three matches under his belt, and he's done well here in New York. So what is your take overall on these young guys getting wild cards and this whole sense of entitlement with the junior players? Um, I think it's careful. I, I think you got to be careful with with who you give the wild cards to and on what basis. Um, you know, it, it, it's just tough. And, and I'm not on the wild card committee. Otherwise, you know, I would have kind of my two cents and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I think that it, it's not a, a, a black or white decision. I mean, you, you have to have every wild card is determined based on certain criteria. Now, there's already five kind of promised wild cards the French didn't take their trade this year, so that left four open wild cards, and Del Potro got that, basically that quote-unquote French wild card. Um, but to me, I guess what I would like to see is a reason behind um, the wild cards given. And I think this year was a very, very tough year um, for the USTA wild card-wise because there were so many deserving youngsters, and everybody yeah. had everybody had a legitimate claim to uh those wild cards um yeah so i mean for me look i'm pro-american i don't run the business of the usta so for me um it would have been tough giving me i uh, sorry giving uh del potro the wild card but you know i'm not i'm not in that committee i don't make those decisions and i'm sure they have good reasons for it you're listening to the tennis now tennis podcast sponsored by tennis express we're chatting with former ATP star and current coach of Jared Donaldson, Taylor Dent. 
Um, no, you've been working a lot with Jared, obviously. You're getting attention for that today in New York. But what else has been going on for you at the at the Dent Academy? You started this in, after you retired, I think, in early 2011 with your father, Phil, and your wife, Jenny. Uh, can you tell me a little bit of the, the story? Yeah, well, you, you said it. You know, we retired, and, and I wanted to stay in tennis, and I wanted an opportunity to kind of stay at home as much as possible. So we started the Academy and, and, you know, everything is going great. Um, and, you know, basically when we're starting the Academy, we've had to kind of, you know, rent courts from, from great family friends. We've been at uh, Los Caballeros racket club in Fountain Valley, California for a few years now. And that's been great. Uh, and, and just recently we've actually had an opportunity to move out to Keller, Texas. It's uh, 30 minutes Northwest of Dallas. And we have an opportunity to kind of build our own, our own site out there. So we are really, really cool. excited uh, for that to happen. It, it, it's a big deal for us. Is that a definite? That's something that's uh, like we really are going moving. to happen. Yeah, cool. we are moving. Congratulations. Thank you. Super. So you've always kept it uh, small and intimate. I think in the, that was kind of part of your philosophy in the first few years. Is that how you plan to sort of march forward with a yeah, high? Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess my passion. Uh, my passion is for these kids to improve. And I think that when we have our own facility, I can implement more of my kind of ideas that I haven't had the flexibility to implement before. So I, I'm going to really try and keep it uh, intimate and, and I'm going to experiment with ways that I think that are, are going to get the most out of our, our serious kids. And obviously we're going to have um, other components there too. We're going to have um, you know, memberships and after school for kids that might just want to experience, you know, tennis and training and all that sort of stuff. So it is, it's a pretty big endeavor and it's going to take time to build up. But I think, uh, you know, like I said, it's just that one, one, two percent every single time. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, Jared got um, a, a wild card or what I would kind of call a wild card to, to train with Roger Federer in 2014. I think he went over there in the off season. I wonder how did that come about and were you able to make that trip as well? Yes, I actually went over there on the USTA's behalf um, to look after Jared and Colin Altamirano was the other boy that came out with us. Mm-hmm. And it was it was a pretty great experience. You know, I was very fortunate to get that opportunity from the USTA. And Jared learned a lot. You know, he definitely learned a lot. He, uh, it was, it was nice because that was early on when we were working together, you know, pretty early on. And I was telling them how aggressive I think that, uh, modern tennis is and how aggressive you have to play. And, yeah. you know, telling that to, uh, a kid that just spent the last two years on clay, um, uh, being, being told not to miss, not to miss, play safe, wait for a better ball, wait for a better ball. It's like right. blasphemy. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm basically telling him the exact opposite of, of all those things. I'm like, you got to stand close to the baseline. You got to spread the court out. You got to have a lot of racket head speed. You got, you got to <laughs> win these points. And so, you know, they were very polite and, and respectful receiving that information. But, you know, you can tell when somebody embraces something and when somebody doesn't. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of like, ah, kind of one foot in, one foot out. So when we went on that trip with Federer, it was kind of like, boom like he Federer was practicing and playing even more aggressive than I was asking Jared to do. And I think that kind of started the ball rolling in uh, Jared really embracing what high end professional tennis is. And, and again, it's, it's a work in progress and uh, it's, it's not there a hundred percent of the time, but it's getting closer and closer. Did you pick anything up as a coach that you could implement after spending three weeks out there? <sighs> um, 
No, they did. I, you know what? The problem is I've been in tennis so long and I've been around those guys yeah. for so long. I mean, all the drills they're doing, they're, they're you know, good drills. Everything is, is awesome. Everything is good. Um, it, it's really specific to Roger's game. You know, mm-hmm. the amount of time that Roger spent up at net, I wouldn't have Jared spend that much time up at net. You know, so and, and the drills Roger was doing, awesome drills. Work ethic was great, working hard. Um, you know, but their drills, you know, we've kind of done and, and seen before. I think that the biggest thing to get out of it, again, because it's not like I'm that far removed from the tour. I was playing Federer in 2010. I, I know how he hit the ball. I know where he hit the ball. I know how early he took it. And in uh, same thing with Djokovic and, and Nadal. So for me, it wasn't as eye-opening as it was for Jared. Yeah. A couple more questions before I let you go, Taylor. Um, maybe maybe we'll ask you to put on your analyst cap for a bit. How do you see the men's draw shaping up in New York? Um, aside from Novak and Andy, which players do you feel have a shot maybe at making a run or even a shot at the title? Well, obviously, you know, Del Potro is pretty scary. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he had a great win in Rio over Djokovic. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if this year will be Raonic's year, you know, to win a slam or to win the U.S. Open. But, man, I am really, really impressed with uh, Raonic. He's he's intense. He's hungry. He's, I feel, again, I could be wrong. I feel he's the hungriest one out there right now. Mm-hmm. Um, he looks the most professional before court, on court, after court, all of his routine. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. If you're asking for an outside pick, I'll, I'll go out and I'll pick Raonic. Mm-hmm. Good call, I think. Although he does have, I think, shaping up to play Montfi round of 16, Rafa quarters. But I think that's a generally very good call. I like it. And what did you think of uh, Dr. Ivo Karlovic as a as an excellent server yourself? Yesterday he turned in a 61 ace performance, breaking the U.S. <laughs> Open record. What do you think? What do you think of what he's been able to do at his age? Yeah, no, it's crazy. And obviously his game style um, allows him a prolonged career, right? He doesn't rely on having to win so many grueling, tough points. If you are, um, you know, obviously if you're, if you're having to scrap and dig and use your legs and, and every little bit of that foot speed counts for you to win, then as soon as you slow down just a little bit, it's over. But Karlovic doesn't kind of rely on that. He relies on just booming aces, but booming 61 aces mm-hmm. by people. So, he'll, I mean, I would expect he would be around for a bit longer. Yeah, it's really cool. And your last question for you, uh, the, fu- the future of American men's tennis, always a hot topic of discussion. Um, we talked five years ago. It wasn't in the best shape that it's ever been. But um, five years down the road, once you've got your academy started and we've got other youngsters cropping up, Tiafo, Fritz, Stefan Kozlov, Noah Rubin, Michael Moe, you get the sense that these kids could be special, that this generation is going to push each other, and do you think we're in a better place than we have been? Yeah, I, I think so for sure. Um, it's always tough to forecast and predict the future, but I will say this. Generally, when you have um, people winning Grand Slams and competing for Grand Slams, it happens in groups. Like what Federer did, how he was kind of the only Swiss guy to come out, it was, was unique. Normally, you have groups of competitive guys who want each other to do well, but are certainly it, it encourages and pushes the other competitors to move forward. So this group of Americans, I mean, there's like, I, I'm not going to start naming names because there's a lot of them and, and they're good. And, and it seems like everybody's having a good result here, a good result there. So it's just more motivation, a little bit more, you know, fuel on the fire to keep pushing and getting better. And that, that's good. You know, that's what it, ha- what it has taken most of the time to create a, uh, you know, a few Grand Slam champions. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, he's Taylor Dent, former world number 21 and coach of American Jared Donaldson. Um, thanks, Taylor. I really appreciate you spending some time with us. I hope we can catch up down the road. All right. Thank you so much. Take care. Special thanks to Taylor Dent for joining the Tennis Now Tennis Podcast, sponsored by Tennis Express. And thanks to all our listeners. Hope you're enjoying week one of the U.S. Open. Stay tuned as we'll be back later in the week with another podcast. Until then, enjoy the tennis. Thanks for listening, everyone.